as an older sibling, it's always a sad day when your identity is your younger sibling's older brother, you know? There's always like a shift. I was at seminary and I thought, you know, I mean, we're, at, we're in seminary, so someone came up to me, are you? And I was like, I mean, this is seminary. Justin's older brother? And I was like, oh, not even at seminary do I have my own identity. Uh, but, uh, well, good, good morning, New Life. Uh, it's such a privilege to be with you today. Um, a huge fan of your church. Uh, the last time uh, I was with you in person was back in 2019. And I think I was here the last Sunday of that year. And I think I said something to the effect of, you know, 2020 is going to be a great year, guys. And um, obviously, I had no idea what was going to happen in the next three months. Um, but here we are almost three years later, and, you know, I, I said this to first service um, as well, but just worshiping with you here in the same space again, uh, I, I was just struck by God's continued faithfulness upon this community. Um, you know, this past season has been such a difficult season, and, and I would say in a time when uh, people have needed more than ever, I think, um, to be uh, shepherded and cared for, um, I really mean this when I say that I believe that you have one of the best shepherds I know in Pastor Eric. Uh, he's a dear friend of mine, someone um, for whom I have so much respect. And so all that to say, I'm grateful to be here this morning and for this opportunity to bring you God's word. Uh, the text we're looking at today is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Um, just a little bit of context. This is Luke's account of Jesus calling his disciples for the first time. Some of you may be familiar with his story. Uh, Jesus calling these ordinary fishermen, uh, calling them to follow him, having them, and, and uh, these fishermen leaving their boats um, and giving their entire life to Jesus. And, I, and, and it's a familiar story because it's found in, all, in three of the gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, but I specifically chose Luke's version because um, anytime I read Matthew and Mark's account of this story, it's, it's so unrelatable to me. Um, because in those accounts, you basically have Jesus walking along a lake. He sees this, these disciples uh, chilling, and, and he says, come follow me. And it says they left everything, and they followed him. Okay, and it's this really dramatic, powerful moment but, but again, to be honest, for someone like me, it's, it's, really, unrelate, uh, it's really unrelatable. Like in LA, I mean, we're barely trying to get our church people to join a community group, right? Let alone give their entire lives over to Jesus. And, and obviously, Jesus is Jesus. So, you know, perhaps Jesus um, is better th at this than we are. But I've heard a lot of good preachers in my day. And I can tell you that I still have never seen a preacher get up on Sunday, say, come follow Jesus, and then have the entire congregation the next moment leave their jobs and sell all their possessions to follow him. So in some sense, like Matthew and Mark's version, every time I read it, there's something about that that just doesn't always sit well with me. But I like Luke's account and appreciate it because you realize when you read this account that it wasn't this instantaneous blind decision to follow Jesus, that for these disciples, there were a lot of small decisions that took place before the big decision. It was a progression of faith that gradually opened their eyes to who Jesus is. And, and maybe if you've read this uh, story before, you've kind of glossed over this text. Um, but as we read this now, I'm really going to encourage you to pay close attention to the details because I would say every detail in this story matters. Okay, so if you're able, I'm going to invite us to stand. 
as we read Luke 5, uh, verses 1 to 11. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they had caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, you know, at the end of 2018, I was going through a really dark season in my life. Um, I was struggling with depression. Um, I had just uh, resigned from my ministry post. I was questioning my calling and literally had no idea what I was going to do next. Um, keep in mind, I had two kids. Um, I had a son who was barely one. Um, and so, you know, like, it was a scary thought to not know what the next move was. And the only option I felt I had was to go back and finish seminary. And that was a scary option as well because um, not only because going back to seminary meant I would not bring any income in for our family. In fact, I would pull our family negative. Um, but two, I didn't even know if I was going to be uh, like in full-time ministry post-graduation. So it was like there were all these questions. You know, is this going to be a waste? You know, what if, like, sem what if I'm not going to be a pastor? Is it really worth it to finish seminary? Um, you know, how am I going to provide for my family? And I was just, like, going into these dark spaces in my mind. And I remember I was in a small group in one of my seminary classes, and I was sharing my anxiety with my group leader. And she said something to me that I will never forget. She said, Jason... Uh, it sounds like you're, you're, you're thinking about six months down the line. I see that you're stressed about one year down the line, five years down the line. But what about that next faithful step? What about the next faithful step? And she said, look, what do you have to do today? And I said, well, you know, after class, I'm, I'm going to go home and I have to cook dinner for my kids. And she said, great. Go home, cook dinner for your kids, be present for your family, get a good night's rest, and tomorrow morning, ask God for the next faithful step. And she, once you do that, the next morning, ask God for the next faithful step. And I was so desperate in that moment, I listened to her. And that's what I did. Every single day, I woke up and I said, God, what's the next faithful step? What's the thing uh, you, know, you want me to do today? Sometimes it was going for a walk. Sometimes it was journaling. Sometimes it was going out to dinner with my friends. Sometimes it was making a phone call, going to a conversation, uh, going to an info session. And literally one step at a time, 
God began to guide me. It was like there was a light that was only shining on the one step in front of me, and it was like, that was it. And I just took the next faithful step. And one day I woke up, and on that particular day, the next faithful step just happened to be the conversation during which I accepted the call to be the lead pastor of Citizens. And, and in that moment, it felt like such a monumental, life-altering decision, and it was, but behind that moment was a series of small, faithful steps. And when I look back, I realize that though like, I couldn't see what was happening in real time, every one of those small steps mattered. Every one of those small steps was God's hand moving pieces around, opening and closing doors, bringing certain people into my life, shifting my paradigms, expanding my heart, allowing me to have certain conversations. And these small steps were what set off a chain reaction of events that ultimately altered the trajectory of my life. Now, I wonder if there are some of you in this room who, like me in 2018, feel stuck. Maybe you're staring at a huge transition and you're not sure if you made the right decision. Maybe you feel stagnant in your faith and you feel so far away from God, you don't even know how to get back on track. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage or in your relationships and, and you don't know if the damage is repairable. You know, or maybe you're just complacent. Maybe every day you wake up and you're just trying to survive. You're just trying to get through the day. You don't know who you are, what your calling in life is, what your purpose is. You're just kind of going through the motions, doing the same routines day to day, just trucking along, doing the same thing over and over again. And for all of us, I believe God has a next faithful step, a step that moves us closer to Jesus and moves us closer to the life he intended us to live. Okay, so if you're taking notes, I have three points today. The first is, what does the next faithful step look like? Why is taking that step so difficult? And how do we take it? Okay, what does the next faithful step look like? Why is taking that step so difficult? And how do we take it? Okay, so first, what does the next faithful step look like? Now, I mentioned this already, but more often than not, the next faithful step is small. It's small. If you notice, at the beginning of the text, Jesus is speaking to the crowds, and the disciples aren't even paying attention to him. They're actually not a part of the crowds Jesus is speaking to. They're just over here on the side washing their nets. Okay, so Jesus isn't expecting them to just drop everything. He meets them where they're at. And so he gets into Simon's boat, and notice what he says in verse 3. He doesn't say, leave your boats and follow me. The first thing he says is he asks Simon, to put out a little from shore. He says, Simon, can you just push the boat out a little? Just a little. I'm not asking you to empty out your bank account today, but can you set aside just a little to give to someone in need? Just a little. You know, it's funny that oftentimes we meet difficult people, people who annoy us in our lives, and we're so upset that they don't change overnight. But Jesus doesn't even expect that. Right? He meets us where they're at, and he says, just push the boat out a little. I think sometimes we get in our heads because we feel like what God is asking of us is so monumental, right? Like, um, you know, at our church in L.A., we just did like a uh, book club around this book called The Intentional Father, where we sat with 13 to 14 dads in our church, uh, dads with kids of all ages, and we just kind of shared about 
um, our experiences as a father. And literally the, the, the same theme over and over again were these dads saying, I just feel overwhelmed and so inadequate. I feel like in this cultural moment, I, I just, I don't know how to raise my kids. I can't be the perfect father. I can't be the perfect husband. I can't balance everything. I can't be like a great role model. I'm like messing up every day. And I feel like this text is telling us, maybe God just wants you to go out for burgers with your son. Maybe that's the next faithful step. Maybe the next faithful step is maybe put down your phone. And maybe, maybe, maybe take your kid out to ice cream. Maybe that's the next faithful step. It doesn't have to be these grand acts of faith. For you today, maybe the next faithful step is just to say hi to someone new at church, someone you haven't said hi to. Just push the boat out a little. And for Simon, we have to understand this isn't that difficult because he's a fisherman, right? He, he understands this. He does this every single day. Jesus is simply asking Simon to do something that's right in front of him, something that's so familiar. So the question is, who or what do you see right in front of you that you feel Jesus might be inviting you today to take a step toward? If you love children, I'm sure New Life is looking for more volunteers in children's ministry. Okay? I told Eric he can thank me later for that. Right? Maybe sometimes the next faithful step isn't to do something. Maybe it's actually to take a break. Maybe actually you need more margin in your life. Maybe you need to take some things out and, and, and give up some things, right? If you notice here, um, after Jesus asks Simon to push out a little, it says he sat down and began to teach the people from the boat. Meaning sometimes the next faithful step is to move and sometimes the next faithful step is to sit and listen. And then he teaches, and you see this back and forth, because Simon takes a step, Jesus responds, and then after Jesus finishes speaking, he says, okay, let's take another step, Simon. He says, let's put out into deeper water. Let's go a little bit deeper. You know, um, my daughter Avery is seven years old. She's learning piano right now, and, um, you know, no matter how good at piano you are, if you're a parent, you can never teach your child the thing you're good at, okay, because you just get too mad all the time, Okay. Um, and children can't learn from their parents because, like, they get mad too, okay? And it's just a really bad, like, you know, especially if you're a tiger dad like me, a very bad recipe, you know, she'll probably get counseling for it later, okay? So thankfully, we have a teacher for that, okay? And she has a great piano teacher. And this piano teacher is so great because she understands that this seven-year-old brain cannot handle the entire symphony at once, right? So she'll come literally teach her three notes. And she said, play those notes again. It's like, okay, good, you got it. She teaches a little bit, and she says, play these notes again. Teaches a little bit, play these notes now. Try this now. And, and sometimes, like, when I'm at the piano lessons, I'm like, oh, this is going so slow. You know, I'm paying $50 for 30 minutes for this, right? But then you get to the recital, and it's incredible because you see the entire song played from beginning to end and you're like, oh, this is what the teacher was doing, this back and forth, challenge and support. And this is what Jesus is doing here. He says, push the boat out a little. Let me teach you something. Let's go a little bit deeper. 
Now let's let down the nets. You see all that fish? You see who I am? Now let's stop fishing for fish and go fish for people. There's this progression of faith, challenge, and support. It always begins with a small step. There's usually a lot of little things before the big thing, right? Before reconciliation, there's usually like a text that says, hey, it's been a while. How you doing? Should we grab coffee? Right? Before the big thing, there's often a lot of little things. Often what Jesus is asking is simply for us to put out a little from the shore. Okay? Well, just because the next faithful step is small doesn't mean it's easy. Right? You know, telling someone you need boundaries, that's a small step. So hard. Right? Saying I'm sorry, small step. So hard. Right? What do they say? The three hardest things in life to say are, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and Worcestershire sauce. Right? And I, can't, I still can't say Worcestershire sauce. Right? So hard. Small step, but it's so difficult. And why is the next faithful step so difficult? And that's the second point. And I'll give you a couple reasons. Number one, I think it's because we like to be in control. We want to know how the entire story is going to turn out before we take a step in faith. We like to know, as human beings, it's in our nature to want to know exactly where we're going and how we're going to get there, right? We say, look, God, if I'm going to, change, if I'm going to take this next step and change careers, you better guarantee me that this is actually going to be the right decision, that I'm going to make more money, that I'm going to be promoted in five years, that, that this plan is going to go like the way I've mapped it out in my mind. If I take this next faithful step, and, you know, break up with this person, I mean, you better guarantee me that there's a better person out there that I'm going to meet one month later, right? We want to know the whole story. You know, my wife, she does this really weird thing where every movie or TV show we watch, she always has to go read the synopsis online. And I, I like, I can't stand that because I'm like, why do you need to know everything? And she's like, well, I'm not telling you, so it's fine. But we're watching the show, and if it's a scary movie, I see that there's a moment where hands start like gripping the side really tight. And I'm like, you're giving it away. You're and she's like, I, I don't know. Like, I just don't like feeling out of control. I like to know what happens. And I think oftentimes we don't want to take the next faithful step because we want the entire story. We don't want to say, I'm sorry, unless we know for sure the other person is going to say, I'm sorry, back own their part of, uh, of the argument, own their like faults, and then reconciliation is going to happen, right? But this is not how God works. When you read the scriptures, God often invites people to take a step in faith without telling them anything else. In Genesis 12, when God meets Abram, he says, go, I'm going to make you into a great nation. He doesn't tell him how. He doesn't tell him the exact steps. He just says, go, Right? When we see that, uh, when we read texts in scripture, like God always works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, notice he never tells us how he's going to do it. He just says that he will. But Hebrews 11 tells us this is what faith is. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Right? So I think that's the first reason taking that next faithful step is difficult. I think the second reason is that when you can't see the end and when you don't really know what God is up to, like usually the next faithful step is going to often feel foolish. It's going to feel counterintuitive. 
It's going to feel inefficient. It's going to feel irrational, right? If you notice the first thing Simon says when Jesus says, okay, now put out into deep water, let down the nets for a catch. Verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Translation, are you sure you want me to do that? Because that doesn't make sense. We haven't caught any fish. We fished all night, haven't caught anything, and you want me to put out into deeper water? Oh, Jesus, you know that actually all the fish usually hang out near the shore. Oh, Jesus, you know I'm a fisherman, and I do this for a living, right? And what you're asking me to do is kind of illogical. It doesn't make sense. But you see, faithfulness to Jesus is often going to look like foolishness to the world. What do you mean you're going to give up stability and security to pursue something you love and you feel God is calling you to? Doesn't make sense. What do you mean you're going to put a hard stop on your workday at 5 p.m. so you can be more present for your family, for those you love? Doesn't make sense. That's horrible for productivity. What do you mean you're going to close the shop one day a week so you can Sabbath? Do you know how much business you're losing? It doesn't makes sense. But you see, Jesus often leads us out of our comfort zones. He leads us out of what is convenient. He leads us out of what is efficient or logical in order to show us more of himself. And in that moment, Simon has a choice. He can choose to stay near the shore where he's comfortable, or he can take the next faithful step into the unknown. And what Simon chooses ultimately changes the trajectory of his life. He says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you say so. So much profound like insight in that one phrase. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. And it says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Now, I want you to keep this in mind. Jesus never promises him that he's gonna give him the biggest catch of his life. He doesn't promise him anything. Simon doesn't know what to expect. He just takes the next faithful step, which at that moment felt extremely irrational and illogical. But he says, because you say so, I will do it. God, I don't get it. I don't agree. I have questions. God, but I failed a lot. I don't think I can do this, but because you say so. I will let down the nets. Because you say so, I will not stay where I am. I will take the next faithful step. We see this posture in Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying to the Father. And he's saying, Father, do I have to do this? He says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Jesus is saying, is there any other way? There's got to be another way. There's got to be a better way. But he says, not my will but yours be done. This is Jesus saying, if you say so, I will let down the nets. I will take the next faithful step. And that faithful step was the cross. It was a decision that looked like utter foolishness to the world. It's probably not so different from what the other fishermen are thinking as they're watching Jesus take Peter out into deeper water. They're like, what's going on there? That doesn't make sense. We didn't catch anything all night. Where is Simon going? Where is, he, where is Jesus taking him? In the same way, the crowds looked at the cross and said, that doesn't make sense. The king of the Jews should not be dying a criminal's death. 
should not be hung on a cross. This doesn't make sense. But Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done because you say so. Okay. Now, caveat. Please do not go out after this service and do something wild and said, God, because you said so. Okay? Like, don't go up to that. Don't be creepy and go up to that one girl you've been eyeing and be like, this is my next faithful step. You know, like it's irrational, it's illogical. I know it doesn't make sense, but this is my next faithful step. Please do not do that, okay? Obviously, this takes discernment. It takes wisdom. It takes community. It takes reading the word. It takes prayer, right? It takes a lot of work, but it's in taking these intentional steps of faith, and we're going to get it wrong all the time. Know that. But it's in taking these intentional steps of faith that we grow and mature into the people God has called us to be, right? Which brings me to the final point. How do we take the next faithful step? Where do we find the boldness, the courage, and the strength to step out into the unknown? What gave these disciples who at the beginning of this story were so disinterested, who weren't even paying attention to Jesus speaking to the crowds, what gave these disciples the ability, the strength to take these steps that ultimately led to a decision to leave everything to follow Jesus. And keep in mind, they didn't just leave their boats. They left the biggest catch of their lives. Like they left their winning lottery ticket behind. Isn't that interesting? Right? They did all of that work, all that faith, all those steps to pull in the biggest catch of fish ever. And in the end, it's like the fish don't even matter anymore. How do they do this? You know, I'm guessing that many of us sitting here today may be sensing Jesus inviting us to take the next faithful step, whatever that may be. For some of us, that step might be as small as changing your major, even though you know you're going to disappoint your parents. For some of us, that step might be finally emailing that counselor that you've been meaning to reach out to, asking someone for prayer. For some of us, Jesus may be calling you to deeper water, he may be asking you to let go of something you've been holding on to so tightly for a long time. Maybe he's asking you to let go of a destructive habit or an addiction that's wreaking havoc on your life. Maybe some of you are resisting it because you're comfortable or complacent, or maybe you're resisting it because you're terrified of what's on the other side. Simon was terrified too. You know, after he hauls these two huge nets of fish into the boat, he's not celebrating. He's not like, this is amazing. It says, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He's scared. He doesn't even really know who Jesus is at this point, but he knows that now he sees this and he's like, I am standing in the presence of someone who is not of this world, and I know this moment demands a response and he's scared. He's just witnessed the impossible, and we see this shift even in the way Simon addresses Jesus. In verse 5, he calls him master, but in verse 8, he calls him Lord. And ironically, what we see in Peter's progression of faith from the beginning of this story to the end is not that he becomes more sure of himself. He actually becomes less sure of himself. He says, go away from me because I'm a sinful man. Right? You meet people who've been walking with the Lord for a long period of time, and a lot of times we equate spiritual maturity with certainty. 
that the more certain someone is in their beliefs, that the more they feel like they're confident in their knowledge, the more they're confident in their wisdom, usually the farther away from Jesus they are. Because actually what we see here is that the closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize how little you know. Walking by faith is not getting stronger. It's becoming more aware of your weakness. And this is what we see here. Simon says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. The more we step into the life God has called us to live, the more we realize how lost we are without him. And so if you're here today and you're confused or you're scared or you're uncertain and you're doubting yourself, it's not a bad place to be. In fact, it may be the very best place to be because faith isn't about our ability to take the right step. Faith is simply knowing that Jesus is near even when we take the wrong one. Okay, let me say that again. Faith isn't about our ability to take the right step. Faith is knowing that Jesus is near even when we take the wrong one. You know, this story would have been so inspiring if it ended at verse 11, right? Because you have these disinterested fishermen, right, who are just ordinary just surviving, getting through the day, just living their complacent lives. Jesus encounters them, invites them to take the next faithful step. And then when all is said and done, they all have this aha moment. They leave everything and follow him. Right? Inspiring. In fact, at the beginning of this story, notice that Peter's name is still Simon. After this story, his name gets changed to Peter. So this is an important story. And in fact, he never gets called Simon ever again. Jesus says, I'm changing your name to Peter the Rock, meaning Jesus doesn't give these disciples just a new mission. He gives them a new identity. He says, I'm changing you like you're a different person, right? So it's amazing, and, and, and it, would be, um, it would be so great to end the sermon here and say, and look what happened when they took the next faithful step and they ride off into the sunset. Simon is now Peter, the rock, and they're going to do these great things in the name of God. But that's not how the story goes. Because right after this, what comes after Luke 5 is a lot of stupidity and a lot of failure. In fact, just three chapters later, we read the story of Jesus calling Peter out of his boat to walk on water. And guess what? He can't do it. The same guy who just three chapters earlier in Luke 5 got out of his boat, left the biggest catch of his life to follow Jesus. In chapter 8, when Jesus calls him to walk on water, can't do it. Why? Because he's afraid. He's scared. And when he calls out to Jesus, he says, Lord, save me. It says Jesus immediately reaches out his hand and catches him. And all of a sudden, you realize that maybe Luke 5 is not a story about the disciples' faithfulness. Maybe it's a story about God's faithfulness. That from the beginning, it's Jesus who sees them, and it's Jesus who sustains them. You know, I've read this story like a million times, and something I never noticed uh, before was at the beginning of this story, it says, Jesus saw the fishermen and then he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and then asked him to put out a little from the shore. He got into the boat first, and then he asked Simon to put out a little from the shore. Jesus does not ask Simon to take the next step from a distance. He gets into the boat 
with Simon. He gets into the boat with him. There's nothing Jesus will ask us to do that he isn't willing to do himself. There's no place Jesus will ask us to go that he hasn't gone himself. Psalm 23 says, though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. It doesn't say Jesus leaves us in the darkest valley. It doesn't say he waits for us to get out of the darkest valley. He says, in the darkest valley, you are with me. He doesn't leave us alone in the valley of the shadow of death. He walks with us. But here's what really got me. Why does Luke feel the need to mention that Jesus chose the boat belonging to Simon? It's a strange detail. And whenever you, whenever you read the Bible and you see kind of a, a strange detail like that, you kind of have to ask yourself, like, what is the point of that? It feels like a waste of space, right? Why wouldn't you just say he got into one of the boats and then told Simon? But it says, he got into the boat belonging to Simon. Why does Luke feel it necessary for us to know that? And it says, though Luke wants us to know that Jesus gets into Simon's boat before he even takes his first step forward. Jesus doesn't get into the boat with us after we prove ourselves worthy to be, be his disciple. He doesn't love us after we become Peter. He gets into the boat with us while we're still Simon. He loves us while we're still Simon. He's in the boat with us when we're on fire for him, and he's in the boat with us when we want nothing to do with him because this is who Jesus is. And we all know how the story of Peter turns out, right? At the end of Luke 5, it seems like Peter is moving forward in his faith. He's a changed man. He's making progress. Things are looking good. He's actually going to go on and, and, and serve with Jesus for the next three years. He's going to watch Jesus do some miraculous things. He's going to watch him raise the dead and heal the sick and cast out demons and feed the 5,000. I mean, Peter is on an upward trajectory. But in the moment that matters most... Peter takes a wrong step. And we know how the story of Peter goes. When he's faced with one of the most important decisions of his life, Peter fails. He abandons Jesus when he needs him the most. Why? Because Peter was afraid. Isn't it funny what fear can do to us? I'm sure if I asked everyone in this room, those of you who do believe, and call yourself a follower of Jesus. Do you believe Jesus can do the impossible? Do you believe that he can um, create order where there is chaos? Do you believe he can step into this circumstance you're in or he can step into this decision and do things you could never imagine? Most of you would say yes. But when faced with that next faithful step, so many of us are afraid to take it because it's scary because we want to be comfortable. And this is what happens to Peter. And so he ends up going back to his old life and his old ways, back to where he started as if nothing ever happened, just a fisherman on the shore of the lake catching fish. But then Jesus appears to him again. And if you know how the story goes, Jesus finds him at the exact same lake doing the exact same thing, just catching fish. And we read about this in John's gospel. So if you have an app or your Bible, can you turn with me to John 21? Because this is awesome, okay? Never saw this. In John 21, 
when the resurrected Jesus addresses Peter, I want you to notice something. Strangely, he doesn't call him by his new name. He doesn't call him Peter. Now that's weird, because after Luke 5, Simon becomes Peter, and he's never called Simon again. What's going on here? Why wouldn't Jesus call him by his new name? He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon. Can you imagine the flood of emotions Peter must have felt in that moment? Jesus is saying, look, I, I know you think you're a failure. I know you think you've disappointed me. I know you think you haven't lived up to your new name, The Rock. I know you think I want nothing to do with you now, but did you already forget? I got into your boat when you were Simon. I didn't get into your boat when you were Peter. I got into your boat when you were Simon. I chose you before you chose me. Don't ever forget that. And he says, so Simon, son of John, do you love me? This is Jesus' way of recreating their first encounter. He's saying, look, Peter, we're back at square one. Just push out a little. Do you love me? To which Peter responds, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. To which Jesus says, let's go one step deeper. He says, feed my sheep. It's okay. Take the next faithful step. Friends, no matter where you are this morning or what you are going through, no matter how far you feel from God, Jesus invites you back into life with him one small step at a time. And I know that step can feel scary. That step can force us out of our comfort zones, and we may not even know if it's the right step. But we can take that step with boldness and confidence, knowing that faith ultimately isn't about our ability to take the right step, but it's knowing Jesus will never leave us even when we take the wrong one. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the love of God. Um, you know, in the seventh grade, uh, I was a part of our school's track and field team. Okay, I don't know why. Um, I'm a horrible runner, okay? Running is not my thing. And I was definitely the slowest person on the team. Okay, and for some reason, the coach had me running the 800 meters and the 1600 meters. So these are longer distance races, okay? Now, when you're the slowest person on your team, uh, like, you would rather run like the 100 meters or the 200 meters, right? Because those races are fast. They end quickly, right? So like, you're not embarrassed for that long. When you're the slowest person on the team and you're running the 800 meters or you're running a mile, that's like, you're like last for a long time, okay? Like people are in the stands watching you like, ooh, this is rough, right? And um, I remember it was like our county track meet and I was running the 1600 meters, that's about a mile. Didn't even tell my parents about it because I was too embarrassed. Um, and as expected, as always, I'm running and I'm in last place, okay? And I'm turning, uh, I'm, I'm starting the final lap and I'm so far behind that I look back and they're actually prepping the next race already, okay? So I'm like really far behind. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, this, this lap is gonna be brutal. Like I'm humiliated, 
and I just want this race to be over with. So I just, I'm, my head is down and I'm just running because I'm like, I am, a, I am a failure at life. And I'm running and I'm, I'm, I'm turning the final corner and out of nowhere, I don't even know where the voice came from, I hear my coach scream, Jason, pick your head up. I just act like I don't hear it. I'm just running. And I hear it again. He says, pick your head up. And I pick my head up. And at that very moment, I pick my head up to see my dad. He's behind the fence. And he's beaming. And he gives me a thumbs up. And it broke me. And at that point, I didn't even need to win or lose. I didn't care where I was because I knew my dad loved me and I knew he was proud of me. And that is what gave me the motivation to take the next step, the next step to finish the race. I think sometimes when we think about taking the next faithful step, we get anxiety because we're like, like, I've, I've, I've taken so many missteps. I've made so many mistakes. I think a lot of us are living in guilt and shame or we're humiliated. We feel like a failure. We don't feel worthy of love. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling us, pick your head up. Because the Father loves you. And he's proud of you. And he didn't love you after you proved yourself worthy to be his disciple. He loved you while you were Simon. He got into the boat with you when you had nothing to offer him. Friends, Jesus loved us before we proved ourselves worthy. He loved us at our lowest. He loved us when we were Simon. So friends, let's take that next faithful step knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, um, I know that there are so many in this room uh, who right now feel stuck. We feel stuck in our faith. We feel stuck in life. We are just overwhelmed with anxiety, uncertainty about the future, doubts, feelings of, of worthlessness, depression. And, and I know that for when we find ourselves in those spaces, it's really hard to see what's in front of us. But I pray that in this moment, more than us pulling our, ourselves up by the bootstraps, more than us trying to will ourselves to take the next faithful step, I pray that you would allow us to pick our heads up and that we would see the Father's face beaming, saying, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter whom I love so much. God, I pray that as we walk in faith, our goal would not be to just try to love you more. I pray that the Spirit would open our eyes to see how loved we are, that we are so loved 
by our Heavenly Father, the creator of the universe who stepped into time and space and in the greatest act of love and self-sacrifice hung on a cross on our behalf. And I pray that everywhere we go, every step we take, that we would see that and know that we are cared for, we are loved, we are cherished, we are valued, we are precious in your sight. I pray that over this church. We thank you for this word. And may that love now propel us to walk confidently in faith, to take the next faithful step. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.